0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless, our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread our ancestors sinned and are no more and we bear their punishment slaves rule over us and there is no one to free us from their hands we get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert our skin is hot as an oven feverish from hunger women have been violated in zion and virgins in the towns of judah Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned! Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure.
0: Well, this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your word in the New Testament, as Austin already read in the gospel of what we can recognize and understand and experience. Uh, the good news uh, of your son Jesus. We also thank you, Father, for the things that we read of the prophets in the Old Testament and the reality that in many cases they still speak to us today, even in our own circumstances, in our own culture, in our own time, uh, because of the way that your spirit moves. And so, Father, I pray that here today, once again, that you would reign supreme, that your word would speak loudly and boldly, and that we would experience you afresh and anew in this moment. this time so we can go about your business and grow closer in relationship to you and your son and it's in your son's name that we pray and all of us said together amen well let me congratulate you we made it this is week five, the final week of this series on Lamentations. And it's interesting to note, I have never had so many people say to me uh, in the midst of or, or leading into or after, you know, a couple weeks of a series. I've never had so many people say, man, when I heard you were speaking on Lamentations, I didn't know what to expect. I had people say, uh, well, you know, I, I thought this whole series was just going to be one where there'd be like a dark cloud and we wouldn't see any sunshine. Um, and can I just say, um, because of the power of Jesus, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, I have mo- am more filled with hope as a result of reading these laments, and I hope that you are as well. Not because of the, uh, I mean, part of it's because probably we can relate from time to time. Not because of the way that the, the evil one has attempted to try to bring distress, but because of the way that God has delivered and brought hope in the midst of darkness. Amen? Well this morning as we talk about how we've made it and we're moving through this I once again recognize the fact that this series is one that calls upon the name of the Lord that calls upon the mercy of the Lord through anger and through anguish and through surrendering that recognizes the dissonance of pain the suffering the loss and even the loneliness that comes with it but once again in all this discouragement we find the opportunity to experience the heart of the presence of God and the Lamentations chapter 3 this context of Uh, The crux, I should say, of the context of hope. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 through 24 is our key passage. It says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have... Okay. Week five. I get it. We're tired. Some of you watched a football game yesterday. You weren't happy about the result. I get it, all right? But let's just do this one more time. Verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have Okay, all right, we're ready. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. We experience this hope because God, in his infinite wisdom, the greatest gift giver of all time, the creator of gifts, provides hope. He gives hope. God is hope. And we read about this, or we heard, maybe you read along, or you heard it read through uh, Pastor Ray's uh, reading of the, of the passage. You heard about the fact that joy was lost. And the reason for that joy being lost, in many cases, is because there was a loss of hope. And that loss of hope came because there was a loss of touch. There was a loss of connection. There was a loss of engagement with God the Father. And so here we recognize in this last and final lamentation, this last and final lament, that the author here is bringing forth an opportunity to bring his heart before God finally after four laments in the form of a prayer. For this one, he's finally calling out to God. He's finally engaging in prayer, in communication with the Holy One, who has given us the gift of engagement through prayer and this opportunity to embrace him and to engage him. The big picture today as we walk through this is going to to take some takeaways from this lament on how it fits into the gospel story and recognizing what the good news is. And I will tell you now, you might have wondered why this is up front if you haven't already seen that we're going to have this this week. It's going to end with a culmination of a celebration in baptism. Both services, we have an individual who has decided to step forward and embrace this this, uh, element and this sacrament of baptism by revealing an outward sign uh, through baptism of an inward work, the way that God has moved in their life. And ultimately, when we reflect upon hope, that is a reflection of and an action of seeing and experiencing what God has done by providing hope in the life of his creation, the inhabitants of his creation, which is you and I. And so as we walk through this, we see the final step. We see this final understanding, this final thought tied up, uh, certainly not in a nice little bow, but tied up with the question, God, what are you going to do? And he answers that with hope. The core pattern and principles of this final uh, lament detail this path forward for all people for all time. We recognize that we can learn about who God is, about who we are, and the nature of what that relationship looks like if we embrace him afresh and anew. So first we start, uh, and it's recognizing this, it's really hard to believe. We start with the idea that this prophet is finally calling out in formal prayer to God the Creator. He sees his plight, he's talked about it, he's written about it, he's posted everything on Facebook for four laments, and then all of a sudden, he takes a moment and says, you know what, maybe I should go to the one who can actually do something about it. Maybe this is the moment where I recognize that God has provided a channel, an avenue for me to engage the God of all creation, so that I can be with him, so that I can engage him, so that I can call out to him for his help. The only one who can actually do something about the things we walk through is God himself. And sometimes he empowers us and he gives us wisdom to take steps. Sometimes he calls us to simply call upon him and to listen and to allow his embrace to fill us in a way with peace that maybe, maybe you've experienced before, but you recognize you couldn't gain from anything you could do, anything you could say, or anything anyone else could do and say. But simply you gain peace from God himself. His prayer, Jeremiah's prayer here, includes two big pieces. One, he says, God, we, or I was wrong. And then two, he says, God, we need you or I need you. And those two pieces right there are the elements of what Austin already shared from the gospel, which is that we need to recognize the wrongness in our life so that we can step forward in understanding that that needs to be displaced or fixed or changed or made new by the creator of all. A few weeks ago, my family uh, celebrated a birthday. It was my youngest son's birthday. And we asked him, what do you want to do for your birthday? And he wanted to go to the fun barn. Perhaps you've heard of the Fun Barn. It's a place uh, up out in Nelsonville, and, and there's, a, there's a movie theater there, but there's also video games. And growing up, I wasn't much of a video game player, but I've enjoyed watching them and playing along with them in some of these games. And my daughter, who is at that stage where she's almost too cool for video games, but still will enjoy it if you give her the little card that has some, some credit on it to play some games, wanted to play a game called Deal or No Deal. And it's uh, fashioned after the game show. Perhaps you've seen the game show before. There's a bunch of people or a bunch of ladies that have a briefcase and each one has a point total or a money total in it I should say. And uh, you have to try to guess which one that is and then eventually it gets worn down and, and, and you get some money at the end hopefully depending upon what's in your case or if you take the deal that the that the banker offers you. Well the game Uh, the video game is similar to that except the one uh, thing that's, that's different is at the beginning they open all the cases and show you what's in each one and then there's this intense game of Russian roulette when they close them and they move them all around you to try to follow that case to find the one so that you can get the 200 tickets Well, I'll just say we were not successful. So, spoiler alert, right out of the gate, we were not successful. We played the game several times. The first two times, we earned four tickets each. Now, maximum 200, lowest one ticket, we got four tickets each. And I say we because I was actively involved in this. In fact, I was fully invested after the first time thinking we can beat four tickets. Well, we matched it. We were consistent, if anything else. And so after the second time we played, uh, we got some pizza, the food came, we went and sat down. And while we're sitting there, I thought, I think I've got an idea on how to beat this. And so I said, what we'll do is we'll just, I'll just video in slow motion the cases, right? And then when they move around, I can watch the video, I can see which case it is, and we can choose that one and we'll we'll win. And my daughter's like, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I was like, the smartphones weren't around when they created this game. They never would have thought of this. We got this, Right. And so she goes back after we, we almost couldn't even finish our food. We go back, we get ready, she swipes her card, we play the game, and as she's getting ready to pick her, her, her uh, um, or as they're, they're showing the, 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 the cases, they close it, I, I looked at it, I'm videoing, and, and they're getting ready to, to move them around. I put it in slow motion, and she says, okay, I'm ready, and it gives you 10 seconds. Ten seconds to to choose which case you're going to have. And those 10 seconds are very, very quick, faster than any 10 seconds I ever remember. But I wasn't even three seconds into the video because when it slows down, it puts it frame by frame. And so after she had chosen her case and after she had already accidentally chosen the first two, the highest two point totals, I told her, hey, don't pick 15 because that's the one. And she had already eliminated it at that point. And I will tell you that last round, after all the work we put in, after all that we did to try to win the 200, we earned eight tickets the last time. So we doubled it out. But I recognize specifically in that, and just kind of looking back and reflecting upon it, I recognize specifically that there are times in life where we turn to all these other little loopholes, these other little ways we try to overthink or try to figure things out. Or perhaps, like Jeremiah, we cry out in all the different ways and all the different people when what God has called us to is clear and specific, and that is to focus and embrace Him. You see, God called us into relationship with him not because it's just some idea out there or one of the options to pick from. No, God does so because he knows that he is the best option for us. He is the solution. He is the rest, the peace. He is the hope that we can stake our life, our soul, all that we are on. And so sometimes all we can do is pray. Sometimes all we should do is pray. Interesting enough, often prayer is not just the only thing. It is the ultimate thing. Because it unleashes within us something that we could not do ourselves. In fact, it allows allows and empowers the Holy Spirit to work and move in our life in a way that we could never do or figure out for ourselves. So this turning to prayer reveals something to us about God that has never changed. And that's the first point. God is a personal God. God is a personal God. He isn't just some mystical God out there abstractly in in, in outer space somewhere waiting for us to make a decision on our own and then figure it out at some point and then come back and, and then say, okay, you've got it. You can come with me. No, God is a personal God who embraces life with us, who engages in life with us. In fact, he created prayer as a means, a window for us to embrace uh, real and lasting relationship, real and lasting hope, peace, and joy with him. He created the means by which we can personally engage the creator ourselves. And as I think specifically about this concept of baptism, baptism actually symbolizes God's provision through his resurrection. In fact, when we engage baptism, we're emulating in in symbolic form what he has done. We are being lowered down into the grave or into the water, cleansed by his goodness, and then brought back out, resurrected once again. He created that. He he did that. He, He literally died for you and I, creating the opportunity for us to live personally with the God of all. So Jeremiah continues this prayer, and as he begins, he, he, he engages in this, this first expression when people had messed up, right? He, he talks first about the fact that they had messed up. They'd stepped away from the covenant that God had given them. They'd violated who God created them to be. And then he lists all the, the plight that they walk through and he talks about all these specifics, the young boys, the princes, all these, these the, the, the women, the mothers, all these people that are walking through all these things as if God is unaware of what they're walking through. But he shares all these things and the covenant that was destroyed by this disobedience brings forth the result which is suffering. And perhaps you've recognized this just simply in life, maybe in your own life, by engaging in the consequence of the things you've walked through, or maybe just looking around you and seeing the plight of the world because of the fact that we've walked away from God's covenant. But here's the reality of all of it, that God didn't, didn't simply turn his back on the Israelites. Instead, the Israelites turned their back on God. The Israelites stepped away from God, and in experiencing this, God gave them the desires of their heart. Think about that for a minute they desired these other things and god said okay that's what you've chosen i will give those to you i will allow you to have them i was actually talking with with my mother actually over the weekend and we were talking specifically about the the end times and what that all looks like and and it was interesting to note and she'd said something that i've never really thought about before that god doesn't send people to hell but instead it would be wrong of him to make someone who didn't choose him come to heaven with him think about that for a minute it, it would be wrong of God to say, well, you didn't choose me. I'm going to make you live in eternity with me. No, he's allowing the desire of one's heart. And spiritually speaking, we look at that and on this and we say, well, that, that might be kind of cruel. No, it isn't. It'd be cruel of God to force us to be in relationship with him. It'd be cruel of God to say, you know what? I don't care what you chose. I know I gave you this free will, but in the end, I'm making you come along because I know what's best for you. Well, you know, he does know what's best for us. But he gives us opportunity in his wisdom, in his love, to embrace him or to choose whatever desires of our hearts we might have. But in all of that, there's this core recognition that there's a a sin problem in the midst of the creation that we live in. And that, that represents the second point, which is this. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from the goodness of God, from the hope of God, from the embrace of God. Sin is that divine, that chasm, if you will, that, that, that puts a space between us and the creator of all. Sin is the thing that keeps us out of the, the, the embrace, out, out of the relationship, out of the arm's length of the one who is good and perfect and pure. See, a main point here specifically would look like this. God turned away from them, yes, but he never turned uh, away and abandoned them. And this is what brings the real hope. You see, sin, it brought forth this separation, but it didn't make God run away. Instead, he stands there ready to re-receive or to receive those who have not chosen or have chosen to step away from him. Which brings us to the third point, and as we walk through this, we recognize this, this uh, effect that Jeremiah is having. We've messed up, we've sinned, we need you, and God says, okay, here I am. And the core of it, as we explore it, is this. The core of it is hope. You see, the core of hope for anyone who desires to experience Christ's forgiveness is in their life after going their own way. Or maybe another way to look at it is this, despite the sinful past, God would restore them, restore us if we would turn or return to him. You see, hope is only found in the Lord, and if we embrace him, if we engage, if we come back to him, this can't be overstated. He will make us new, a new creature, a, 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 a new a new creature, I should say, in Christ. And so finally the third one is this, hope is only found in the Lord hope is only found in the lord and 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 you can you can recognize this from scripture you can see this through history perhaps you can recognize it in your own life if you draw on other things things of this created world rather than the creator of the world you will fall short it doesn't matter how good it might seem or how good that person might seem you know i I will say this just in general if you put your stock in me i will fail you i am not the one that brings hope i will be the channel the conduit for the one who brings hope but i am not the one who brings hope. God is the only one who can do that. And if you put your stock in anything else, if you put your embrace, if you put who you are, what you what you subscribe to in anything else beyond or aside from God, you will be disappointed. You will not find authentic eternal hope. It's interesting as we, as we look specifically at this idea of hope that this is not the first or the last time we're going to hear about it. In fact, as we kind of transition uh, in this series, uh, specifically to this idea of hope, because of the fact that this is left short, uh, we don't live in a place where there's a lack of hope. You know, if we were living in a place where Christ had not come, we were reading from this prophet, you might be discouraged. You might end this and think, man, I don't really know where to go from here. He calls out to God, this is what we do. I guess we're just going to ask and wait for God to move. And instead, we live in a place where Christ has come. But there are moments, even in the midst of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, where hope was difficult to find. I like to watch uh, movies from time to time. One movie that I've seen many times is, uh, is a Star Wars movie called A New Hope. Perhaps you've seen it before, and if you know anything about the series, you know that that was the first one that was released in the 70s, A New Hope. However, it's the fourth one of the series. One, two, and three were released in in late 90s, early 2000s. And then five, six, or excuse me, yeah, six, seven, and eight were, the numbers are probably wrong, five, six, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine were released later on, even more recent. And so they were, they came out of order, correct? And so the thing that I always recognized, even when I was younger, I think, why is it a new hope when it's the first one? Can I tell you, if we talk about Christ as a new hope, we're not talking about him in isolation as if this is the first time. No, God has always been present. He was present for them in that moment as well. But the reality is we have a new hope because we have Jesus. We have a new hope because we have the Holy Spirit here giving us opportunity to embrace him, to be in the presence of a God that is holy. We have a new hope. And he can make us new as well. But in the midst of those moments, specifically engaging in, in the life and the death and resurrection, we read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, after Christ has died, it says, As, approach, as evening approached, uh, there came a rich man named, uh, from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in, his own, in its, his own tomb that he cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. And get this, the most hopeless verse in the New Testament. It says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. And so think about this for a moment, and we can get this imagery with the baptistry even right here. Jesus has been laid in the tomb. He is down in the water, right? And they're simply just sitting here looking at the, not the empty tomb, which we celebrate on Easter, right? They were looking at the full tomb. They were looking at a tomb that held all the hope they ever experienced. They were looking at a tomb that held everything that they'd put their stock in. They were looking at a tomb that held what they knew only at that time as death. There was discouragement, there was anguish, there was pain, and I'm sure as they sat there looking at it, they thought, where do we turn from here? Can I tell you? Maybe, maybe you don't know the rest of the story. Can I tell you? It didn't take long, but Jesus beat the tomb. Jesus beat death, and because of that reality of him beating death, beating all that we know, he brings hope. And he didn't just bring hope on that day. He brings hope to all people. So where do we go from here? If we can take the posture of the mentor Jeremiah, we recognize he confessed to sin, that he acknowledged the need for God, and he wanted to live in this relationship with the sovereign God. In fact, I'm going to read these three points uh, on the quicker end. The first one is that he, he, first we confess, where do we go from here? We confess the sin that has separated us from God our breach of the covenant our stepping away from it as the Israelites would recognize what God had called them to and what they had stepped away from and perhaps maybe for the first time for you you recognize I don't, I don't know this God I've never experienced this this is for you that moment where you say you know what I, I have fallen short I have lived a life that honors me or something of this created world I confess that before God of all creation is that enough time? let's go to no- oh they're all up there at the same time perfect I'll just keep going The second thing is this, he acknowledged the mighty power of God. He acknowledged the mighty power of God, and that's what we're to do too. Where do we go from here? We recognize our shortcoming, our sin. We acknowledge God's power. And there's there's more to this. Obviously, this last step is what brings it home. You're not just saved from something, you're saved for something and for someone. And this third one was to embrace a life of obedient discipleship. What an amazing thought it is that it's not just about, okay, God, I'm going to come to an altar and I'm going to pray. or I'm going to pray wherever it might be and I'm going to ask God to be my savior. No, it's about this continued life where we grow and we learn and God uses us for his glory and we get to be part of the blessing of helping others know him and grow in him. And so as we transition in this moment, we do so specifically with this understanding of the celebration of baptism. We do so with the celebration of the risen king because in Matthew chapter 28, he brings the end of the story, so to speak, or the next part of the, what, what we would maybe have heard the, the rest of the story, right? Chapter 28 and verse 1, it says, After the Sabbath at dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake for an angel. Of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing were like white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, and and he is risen from the dead, and you're going ahead and and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And in verse 8 it says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples and suddenly Jesus met them greetings he said they came to him clasping his feet and worshiped him and then Jesus said to them do not be afraid go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee there they will see me you see the story of the bible does not end with the way that the lamenter has called the question god what are you going to do with this in fact it ends with the answer here's what i'm going to do i'm going to give myself The one and only sacrifice, the one real and true sacrifice, the one that is sufficient for all humankind. You see, a created sacrifice isn't enough. The only sacrifice that could bring forth an opportunity for you and I to experience eternal life is that of an eternal sacrifice, a creator sacrifice, which is God himself. And so as we embrace this passage, as we embrace this concept of lamentations in general, we recognize the plight of the people. We recognize the anger of God. We recognize the seedbed of hope. We recognize the fact that there is past and present contrast. We recognize even here today, this appeal for God's forgiveness. And in all of it, God is present. God is moving. God is there. But in the end, we recognize the true hope of the creator God, which we can experience today. I'm excited to celebrate that experience today with with all of you, but specifically uh, during each service today, we've got uh, an individual who has stepped forward to experience an outward sign of an inward work through the measure, through the celebration, through the sacrament of baptism. And so I'm gonna ask for, uh, for, for Amber Schultes to come forward at this time. And we're gonna transition here for just a moment. I've got a little bit of a NASCAR pit crew that's gonna move some stuff around up here. But as she comes forward, I want to read a a few things to you. First, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1. I'm going to come down on this side because they are going to move some stuff around here. So we'll just have you come around over here. Does that work right there? Okay. You get to face everybody now. Yeah. Romans chapter 1, verse 6. Excuse me, chapter 6. It reads like this. What shall we do then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may may increase? And by no means... we, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that, that he lives, he lives to God. And then in verse 11, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey him, so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instruction of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to, bought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you have not under because you are not under the law, but under grace. Amber, I'm going to ask you a few questions and ask you to respond to those the covenant questions that we walked through in your baptism meeting. And then we're going to hear from you via your video, your testimony of what God's done in your life, and then church, we're going to celebrate. Certainly, we celebrate these moments because we can't always see inside of someone's spirit when God is moving, when he's changing, when he's doing something. But we can see the outward sign of it when somebody says before us, before God himself, here is the change that's happened in me, and I want everybody to know it. And that's what baptism is. And so let me read this. It says, Dear friends, in keeping with the example of Jesus Christ, you present yourself this day that you might receive the sacrament of baptism. Baptism is not itself the door to salvation, but rather an outward sign of a new birth which God has brought in your heart. It proclaims to all the world that you have taken Christ as the Lord of your life, and that it is your purpose to obey him. In order that you may hear your testimony of, that we may hear your testimony of what God has done with you, and that you may know that you understand the significance of the steps you're taking, I want to ask you these questions. Do you believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? That Jesus Christ the Son suffered in your place on the cross and that he died but rose again and now sits at the Father's right hand until he returns to judge all men in the last day. And do you believe in the Holy Scriptures that are inspired by the word of God, that by grace of God every person has the ability and responsibility to choose between right and wrong and that those who repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are justified by faith? If so, answer, this I steadfastly believe. She said yes, He could hear that. Do you intend by this act to testify to all the world that you are a Christian and will be a loyal follower of Jesus? Amen. All right. Let's hear your testimony.
1: So before Christ, um, I was confused. I was struggling on what path I was going to take. Um, I didn't, I wasn't raised in a religious household, so I was always looking for something that's was more and it wasn't until years later that I realized that that more was Jesus. I've decided to be baptized today so I can formally commit myself to Jesus and I want to continue on a journey of faith.
0: Let your boys see you. Is it an ice bath or yeah, just? Oh, okay. Is your watch true. okay? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's an exciting time. I'll try to get you out as quick as I can. How about that? I have your hand. Yeah. Well, Amber Schultz, because of your profession of faith, your desire to follow Jesus, and your love for him, it's my blessing and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You okay. You want to? You sure? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you once again for coming today. Certainly, uh, this series has turned out to be one that's brought hope. And as I uh, met with Amber this week, I was so excited to hear about the way that God has moved in her life. I certainly was able to meet with several others who wanted to be baptized but are going to wait. And if you were thinking, hey, I want to be baptized. I didn't know the date was this week. We're going to do one in February or March, somewhere in that time frame too. So if God's working on your heart for that, we would love for you to participate in it. I'm going to pray for Amber now and uh, just over us as we leave here today. I do encourage you if you're able to catch her sometime, maybe not today since she's still a little bit wet and probably going to change clothes. But if you want to give her a hug and uh, and tell her uh, congratulations, um, uh, obviously you want to pray over her as well. Um, But uh, certainly it's an amazing thing to engage in this, not just as an individual, but engage in it together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to glorify you and worship together. We thank you for the fact that we can come in this place and we can fellowship, we can lift you up, and we can edify each other. And God, I, I thank you for this baptism moment, which is the pinnacle of hope in a lot of ways. It reveals to us, God, that you are still moving, that you are still working. That God, you are in, in this church. You are bringing an opportunity for many to hear your truth and to live differently as a result of it. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring forth your way and your measure. God, I pray that you. Your timing would be what we follow. God, I pray that your will be one that we all experience and we step forward in with an excitement and a joy because of the hope that you bring. God, I pray a blessing over Amber and over her family. I pray, God, that you would bind Satan from any attacks he might attempt to try to have on her, but instead, Father, bring forth opportunity for her to be able to glorify you, grow in you, and to share the goodness that you've shared with her. God, we thank you for the gift of hope. May we live in accordance to your understanding. May we experience your hope in all all eternity and all things. And God, may we be salt and light in this world. We thank you, Father, for all you do. In your son's name we pray. And all of us set together, amen. Go with God, he'll go with you. Take that hope along. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.